Welcome to Postwave. This is Trevor. This is the ghost of Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Off to a good start. (laughs) (laughs) And this is Eric. So this is the second episode in in our two-part look at Sam Harris. Just a quick disclaimer that we're two musicians and composers who like to talk about a bunch of topics that are sometimes slightly beyond our wheelhouse. If we say anything that's factually incorrect, or even if you just disagree with us, we really love if you send us an email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com and uh, let us know. So again, last time we talked about his views on rationality and logic and especially how that relates to how people in the West react to Islam and the political correctness around that and conflating and balancing that with some of the fairly common practices which we would in the West consider highly um, misogynistic and and uh, dangerous even. Yeah, yeah, right. So so today we're going to touch on uh, controversial, a controversial thing that, that's uh, a little bit more recent because I think all the Islam stuff was kind of coming to a head in, in like the middle of the 2010s. But the whole thing we're going to be talking about today, I think, kind of blew up around 2018. And what happened was that Sam Harris had this guy, Charles Murray, as a guest on his podcast. And Charles Murray's best known for being the author of The Bell Curve, which is this book that came out in the 90s that he co-authored with with another guy that's based on the differences in IQ between populations. Right. Had you uh, heard of this book before? Uh, I hadn't, no. And this was this was like right after I got into Sam Harris. I, I I'm pretty sure. Like I remember this episode being, like, not that long after I I first heard about him. Um. So what uh what is Murray's contention? Why is he famous? So, so like I said, the the book The Bell Curve deals with how IQ affects class structure and social structure generally, and and most of the book uses data purely from from white populations in the US. And I think this is because they they realized that that race differences were such a radioactive topic. And so they they left pretty much all the discussion of race differences to I think one chapter. Um and of course that was the most controversial chapter for for good reason given the the history of of that kind of thing in the in the US. Mm-hmm. Um you know things like phrenology Phrenology. Which is the measure of so that's the measure of, of like skulls and, and making conclusions based on, on that right. kind of stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. So there's like a very, very deep history of, of racist pseudoscience. Yeah, like that scene in Django Unchained where the slave owner is like has a skull of one of his deceased slaves and he's like breaking it open and showing like, see this divot here means that they're submissive and other horrible things like that. 
yeah 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 exactly that kind of thing damn okay so so <laughs> yeah <laughs> so coming out of that history we have so okay so so the 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 where the title comes from is this idea of a of a bell curve which is also referred to as as like a normal distribution in st statistics um so the idea is you know most people are most people fall within the the center of of this bell curve right um because it, it's like the the median or the mean of any trait you're looking at uh, intelligence in this example and then far out in the tails of the distribution where it starts to flatten out um, you find less and less people right right and so kind of the whole argument of or, or one of the main arguments of the book is that if you look at, at you know different income groups or, or things like that you find that well for one thing I iq is a is a pretty good predictor of income mm -hmm. and you can find that the difference is like statistically significant differences in iq predict things like income pretty well mm -hmm. Now, to what extent does that tie in other socioeconomic factors? Um, I guess what I'm asking is, is that a corollary or a causative relationship? Right. So that's the whole, that's kind of the whole argument here, I think. The whole argument isn't whether there's there's a correlation there, right? Because from the data, there there obviously is a correlation. It's, it's whether um, the differences in outcomes, like, you know, people's income whether that's due to their iq or whether it's due to other factors other than iq and that maybe those other factors also affected maybe affected their iq negatively like um like an example they they come back to i think a couple times in this this podcast is the idea that like poor nutrition can have a really bad impact on your on your mental development yeah. you know, no matter what how how good your circumstances are mm -hmm. so why is this controversial? What's the point that Murray makes that is troubling for a lot of people? So, so I mean, the the kind of the headline grabbing one, right, is that uh, among races, there are there are statistically significant differences in in mean IQ scores. So that's like that's like the big claim that everyone's arguing over, and I guess not not the claim itself. Because we know, right, that, that when you measure IQ scores the way we do, you get those scores, right? Yeah. Um, so the, the questions are more about, uh, is the IQ test biased or is it showing us something real about intelligence? Or is there even such a thing as, as you know, this idea of G, general intelligence? And do Murray and Harris come down on one side or the other of this? So, I mean, I, I think what they they essentially say is that basically intelligence has to be in some part environmentally determined and in some part ge genetically determined right mm -hmm. um and you know murray does not claim that it's that it's entirely genetic i forget the exact percentages he gives in the book but i think he maybe he said like 60 percent environmental or 50 percent environmental um <laughs> So they 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 kind, of, they kind of split the difference, but I think I think the main point, um, and to kind of get to why, I think Sam Harris wanted to talk to him, is that he felt that Murray was unfairly maligned for being a racist or a you know a eugenicist or a 
pseudoscientist. Right. Where if you actually look at his at what he he wrote and and says, it's it's way less uh, controversial than that. Mm. Yeah. Right. So way less controversial. So so there's a lot of backlash. Right. When when he first released this, a lot of people. Um, wildly widely criticized him for this calling him a racist probably i think there were death threats and uh, actual occurrences of violence against him for for what what he says in the book yeah yeah and and so that extended all the way until uh i'm gonna forget the date but sometime in the in the 2010s there was this confrontation he had at at Milderbury College mm. where he was supposed to speak that they kind of I, I guess probably made a lot of people more aware aware of him um and in that case he it was one of those things where where there's like 200 students just yelling and and making noise with like sirens and and bells and whatever and just like preventing the person from speaking mm. maybe holding signs and chanting and all that stuff and so he was supposed to hold this debate with a uh, professor who you know disagreed with him they were going to just have a have like a debate and they eventually had to just move it to like a a, a live stream thing because the the crowd wouldn't let them even you know move forward hmm. um and then after they had done this stream and they were leaving there was still like a pretty big group of students out there who were like not letting them through the crowd and security guards basically had to make their way through the crowd forcibly and and his guests uh i think her hair got pulled and she got a concussion and like a neck injury Jeez, yeah um and you know if it and i'll look to the there was like a student response to like an anonymous student response to what the administration was saying about the event saying that you know from from their perspective the security people were being really rough and kind of you know being more aggressive than it was justified and that the i think it was like the president or something that was driving the car like drove into a crowd of students and there were like people hanging onto the car and while it was still driving and stuff jesus wow yeah so (laughs) um (laughs) so pretty contentious and so again so the most uh controversial or provocative thing that murray said is that intelligence is determined in part by environmental and in part by genetic factors and that on average different races have different average level of intelligences and specifically that white people are smarter than black people and that also asian people are smarter than white people yeah, and also I think uh, Ashkenazi Jews are up there above above white people as well. Mm. Interesting. Um, now, I, I guess yeah. once once I've just said that, there's a really important point we need to clarify on that, which is not to say that you can make a fair assessment about someone's intelligence based on their race because there's such a wide spectrum of intelligences in any race that there's always going to be a lot of smart people in any race yeah yeah exactly and and one thing that gets said a lot i think by by both sides 
Um, and it, it's true that there's more variation within the racial groups than between them. Right. Right. Which, which, like I said, people will use to, to justify either the idea that, that this, this IQ gap is telling us something or, or that it's not. Right. And so then this leads us to the question, which it was a really major question that Harris asked Murray in the interview, which was, why are we talking about this? If it's not a good indicator, why bother? What's the point? Well, I think I think Murray's idea is that it, that it is a good indicator. Well, uh, for what? Well, because it predicts it uh, income really well. Like I said, and he, I think one thing he said, you know, which is up for debate, but if an employer has one piece of data that they can look at to try to determine how well someone's going to do in a job, like they're better off just knowing their IQ score than having an interview or looking at a resume or anything like that. Mm. I remember, I, rem- yeah, I remember in the, crazy. in the interview, he was very, very particular about that point. He seemed to speak so with a lot of confidence and you say it's still up for a debate. Well, I don't know. I mean, I mean, <laughs> seems, seems like it is. Uh, I mean, well, it, uh, Oh, actually. So, okay. Yeah. I'm not saying this without, uh, with like no basis. There was this, medium article that i found that was written i think early 2019 nasim taleb i think was his name and he was basically saying the the correlations to income are there like for the lower iq scores but they're not there once you get above a certain level like they the correlations are less so what does that mean then um so it means like you have you know you have some uh, you have some very high IQ people who aren't making as much as they should. Uh, like, you know, I, I'm just pulling numbers out of my ass here, but you know, you have like someone with 125 IQ who has like a, a below average salary and you have someone else with a hundred IQ who has a higher sal- salary than them, like by a lot. Hmm. So it's, it's like those, those types of situations are more common is, is just how I take that. Okay. Um, again, <laughs> as as uh, as we will have said, I, uh, I'm I'm not a statistician, and I can barely even say that word. <laughs> 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 um, from from at least from this this conversation with with Sam Harris and Charles Murray, it seems to be that that the scientific consensus is that both that IQ is real and that race is real, and that there's at least some genetic difference that's playing a part in that. Mm. So I guess maybe it's a good time to talk about the whole race as a social construct thing. Sure. Go on. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, you've, you've encountered this idea before, right? Are we talking about like, who's that lady in like, she, she like was, was basically pretending to be black for, for like years. Yeah. What was her name? I honestly forget. I feel like there's been more than one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, uh, that lady, Rachel Dolezal, um, yeah, yeah, that's her name. Who would say race, race is a social construct and took that to the extreme that she is black because she identifies as black. Right. Right. Which I think, yeah, totally, totally missing the point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think what they say in, in the, in the interview is is that you know race is is a real valid biological 
thing, but it's it's blurry, right? It's not it's not super super well defined. Mm-hmm. But I think I think the analogy they kind of settle on is that a race is like a a big family, just a huge family, right? Yeah. And you know whatever whatever mixing happens and what you know there's a, there's a bunch of noise happening, but you can still you know you can still tell for the most part, you know, where, where someone's ancestors came from, mm-hmm. you know, by what they look like. And, and, and there, you know, there are diseases like sickle cell anemia that, that affect, you know, certain races more than others. Yeah. That, that's like a huge, huge can of worms. Um, mm-hmm. So we have uh, an interpretation that says genetics probably has uh, something to do with people's intelligence and by race. Um, and, and yet again, let's go back to the point that the differences within a group are greater than the differences between the group. So if that's the case, why are we taking special notice of the fact that there are differences on average between the different races? Why do we care? Right. Well, I think... So, so actually, this gets to what was the other really big controversial part of the bell curve, besides just this whole like ranking of of race and IQ relationships, which were um, Murray and Hernstein's, who that's the other uh, co-author, uh, like policy prescriptions. And well, I actually I find this like pretty interesting because Murray is an advocate of UBI, which I think we'll probably talk about in a later episode but i mean that's an idea that which is universal basic income yeah yeah i mean that's an idea that i i am like pretty strongly in favor of and you know is is usually like a left-wing thing people talk about um of course i mean so the the the, the controversial thing for their proposals is, is that it would do away with the welfare state and and shift everything to ubi hmm. which again is is like a huge huge can of worms yeah so so i think in this conversation that Harris and Murray have, they they kind of try to separate the the social policy prescriptions from from the 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 scientific study of intelligence and just what the what the data show. Right. So so Harris's focus, the the questions that he asks, are continuously um, not not inquiring about Murray's perception of what would be a good social policy and specifically only asking about the data yeah for the most part and one of the things that made this this whole conversation controversial is that people thought he wasn't pushing back enough against the the social policy stuff but i think i think you're right i think they were mostly focusing on the on the actual intelligence data study and and kind of the i guess just the, the politics around the whole thing yeah uh, let's put a pin in that point because that is going to be a major uh, topic when we get to the part about the feud between Sam yeah. Harris and Ezra Klein. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and again, so back to this point. So Harris asks Murray, why are we talking about this if it's not a good indicator to look at someone's race to be able to tell if they're smart or not. So, so why do we care? Right. Right. And I think, uh, 
Sam said in his interview with Ezra that he he thought Murray didn't really give a satisfactory answer to that, and he he yeah. posed the question like a bunch of times, I think. Yeah, he he uh, he asked Murray. Murray responds, "Not satisfactorily." I agree, and Murray elaborates. And to me, I was I was actually really perturbed by his elaboration. It seemed like he was coming to some dangerous and I think wrong conclusions. Yeah, yeah, like what? So, so yeah, so to to Murray's credit, at the first moment that Harris asks him, why are we talking about this? What's the purpose of making this point? He responds, it would actually be irrational to read much into group differences. Um, he, he says, I learn absolutely nothing about someone's IQ by learning that they're black or white or Asian. And then he goes on to say, so, so, so why? Why are we talking about it? And Murray says that he thinks we should show people what's actually going on so that people don't buy into the extreme ideas, like maybe some KKK white supremacists would have this extreme notion that all, for example, all black people are not as smart as all white people. And if he were to read the bell curve, he would learn, oh, actually, no, that's not the case. It's a very much more subtle and less relevant point. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what Murray said? Yeah. So that's what he said on the first response. What do you think about that? I mean, it, that makes sense. It, it's just hard to, it's hard to know whether to trust him or not. Yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. I mean, same thing as we were talking about with, with Islam. Like you can, you can find people who are total bigots that believe more or less exactly what, you know, someone like Sam Harris or Charles Murray thinks in like very limited domains. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but with kind of a completely different, justification for it right and so w- when charles murray says it's just oh i want to make people like i want to uh equivocate between these two extremes uh, yeah i just don't know whether to trust him or not yeah i so i definitely got the sense that this was probably not his main motivation and uh, I just want a real sidebar here to introduce an idea that I want to elaborate on later, which is that perhaps the reason he's so entrenched in this idea, he's built his a large part of his career around defending this particular point that people are saying, why are we even talking about this? The reason he's making, I, I, I think, kind of bending over a little backwards, trying to justify why we should be spending so much attention on this. The reason he's doing that is because he feels he cannot back down from the point now that people are criticizing him as a person due to the point. So he feels that he needs to make a statement by persisting in this. What do you think about that? Yeah, I I could definitely see that being true. I mean, yeah, once once you're kind of in that arena, you probably feel like you have 
some duty to like uphold your name and and not mm-hmm. back down from from talking about uh this kind of stuff yeah and i think it 100 percent boils down to in what manner was he criticized in the first place was it a calm measured and non-inflammatory correction or examination of his ideas or was it a vilification uh saying look this is probably a problem so since you said it you're a bad person and you shouldn't do this and you should listen to us yeah yeah although yeah it's it's hard to imagine the book having any different response attached to it like i I doubt there's i don't know yeah but but you're probably right that if if the response was different he might he might have conducted the rest of his career differently Mm. but but so (laughs) uh, (laughs) i guess i guess yeah i want to hear what what you wrote down about his second response but i think one thing one thing he like the kind of thing he mentions is uh getting rid of affirmative action which again is a pretty yeah right-leaning uh idea um but you know we're we're kind of seeing it now i mean we've we've already had i think at least one or two lawsuits of people who are asian suing these ivy league schools because it's so much harder for them to get in Hmm. than it is for for people of other races yeah um and and can can you put a like I, I I understand broadly what affirmative action is, but what is it precisely? So I think I think I think the the basic idea is to kind of go above and beyond to to seek people from like for either you know education or or jobs seek people from applicant applicant pools that are underrepresented so to go out of your way to to encourage more you know people of color and and uh you know minorities minority groups to apply whatever whatever category um those right. people are minority in yeah i remember this was uh something that murray said in his interview with harris um so so he what, what he said at the time was that that's what it was for like the first month that people started doing affirmative action but after that it turned into something else do you have a sense of like what modern practices involving affirmative action entail that are different from what you've just described yeah yeah so it, it does go as far as i understand it and i know it's different at different institutions but i think now it it, it involves something like quotas for different for different groups hmm. you have to have x native americans x asians whatever yeah it, it works like that it, at least in in some places hmm. um I don't, I don't know if it's exactly i mean it might, it might also be just uh you know your application gets boosted this many points based on on what group you belong to something like that Hmm. which isn't that kind of slacking in affirmative action because it's not going above and beyond to find people of different application uh wider application pools it's just taking uh less 
desirable candidates out of the people who do apply based on their race. Yeah, yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> um, yeah, and maybe maybe uh, maybe affirmative action could be like a good episode too because I that's that's yeah. Could be. And all the, I, yeah, all the dicey politics stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so back to Murray's second response to the question: Why are we talking about this? So the second time, uh, Harris obviously wasn't really. Uh, convinced by the first time because he asked it again and murray goes on in this long response and one of his one of the things he says is that if you have policy to treat peoples as intellectual equals you can't hire minorities based on their merit because you risk running into pr problems if you decide not to promote them based on nebulous reasons which are not wholly rooted in their performance. What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. <laughs> and, and this is directly in his uh, criticism of affirmative action. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty shitty thing to say, although I, <laughs> I, could, I could, you know, I can see where he's coming from at least. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm I'm sure issues like this do arise in the current system, but I just don't know if it's a systemic problem and one that's big enough to justify canning the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, I would I would I would agree that that it's probably not. It seems like a pretty one of one of those fears constructed by old white dudes who are afraid of of. P, quote unquote PC culture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so basically, I guess what he's saying here is we can't have affirmative action because what if I want to promote white people over black people, not really because of their performance, but just because of like my general gut feeling? Mm hmm. And like yeah it's like okay i could see that uh maybe could be a problem because maybe your gut feeling is like a valuable way you take risks and try to uh get get the best outcome or um it's also but but that's kind of ignoring the fact that there is systemic racism where for example uh if you have two identical applications for a job, and the only difference is that the name is a black name. This is a a, a statistic that Harris brings up that right. they will get on average fifty percent less callbacks for for the for the black named application. Right. Right. So yeah, it's it's a lot riding on just just uh, gut intuition. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 we we can really imagine that in the current workplace there's a lot of situations where you're going to have subconscious racism playing into people making hiring decisions and making promotion decisions. And to have a system that kind of at least attempts to not allow that <laughs> um 
that that might be a necessary element of the mechanism. Yeah, yeah, although I think you can, I mean, as much as it's hard to just kind of implicit bias, bias stuff like that, I think you can do that without necessarily needing like super hardcore affirmative action. Mm -hmm. Or, well, I guess, I guess that gets into the, the other episode on that, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that seems like a, a very big, big topic, but yeah, um, yeah but, but so that's why I was so disturbed by Murray's reason why he wants to get rid of affirmative action. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, the, the, the thing he said that I, I think I was the most sympathetic to was, was he, you know, he mentioned these, these minority students that, that end up getting into, you know, somewhere like, I think the example he used was MIT hmm. and, you know, the, the dropout rate for them is, is much higher than it is for, for white students. Now there's a really big assumption here that I think he's making that I want to call out right now. And he, he, he very strongly seems to imply uh, that dropout rate is entirely due to their own intelli their their own intelligence, their own ability to keep up with the coursework, and not related to other factors. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. And you you might imagine that uh, a black student in a predominantly white campus, which has predominantly white culture embedded into that and also a lot of racial insensitivity um that that just adds like an extra element of stress and you and i know in college stress is like the one devastating factor right it's the thing that is the main stumbling block in terms of getting good grades and staying up with with the materials yeah, totally. Yeah, you're totally right. I hadn't really, yeah, thought about that. And, yeah, and so so to go on, um, so his Murray's contention or Murray's point is that okay, maybe because we're looking at the very topmost intelligent people, where like like what like the zero point zero one percent uh top most intelligent people. Mm -hmm. but that through affirmative action they've admitted people for example black people who are in the uh, top four percent of most intelligent people which is a very significant difference when you're looking at the very most challenging things right right but um there's i think a horrible assumption there that that reason uh, that people are dropping out is is that they can't keep up with the the coursework rather than other socioeconomic socioeconomic factors that play into things. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I I don't know if it completely invalidates that example, but yeah, again, all, all these factors are hard to tease apart. Mm -hmm. I think this this was another concern I had with Murray and Harris's conversation. So so Murray takes the statistic that. The average black individual's living condition would need to be around 1.5 standard deviations below white people's means in order for their environmental factors to 100% account for the difference in IQ. Mm -hmm. 
and that it's not anything near 1.5 standard deviations. Mm-hmm. So he, he, he brings in this point. Um, but I, I personally have some concerns about how they arrived at the numbers of, mm-hmm. of like, how, how close are we? And, and this I think is one of the very most debated points on, on this topic, wouldn't you say? Mm-hmm. And so to me, there's an ass- a big assumption here, and that is an assumption of a linear relationship between how well off you are and how well you perform in society, right? It's kind of this idea that if you're really, really not well off, you're going to be doing really not good. And if you're like pretty close to average, but below average living conditions, you'll do all right, but not great. And that there's, there's, there's like a, a correlation there. I think there's an assumption, but I would like to present a different possibility. Sorry, I guess before we're gone. So can we go through that one more time? So you said you're talking about uh, like income versus quality of life. Yeah, yeah totally. So, uh, or, or in, in um, yeah. And how much the quality of life affects your IQ specifically. Oh yeah, I see. Right. Uh, so, I mean, it's indisputable. Like you said, things like nutrition, uh, stress, highly, highly affect your IQ. Poverty has been shown to affect your IQ at extreme rates. Mm-hmm. And Murray is saying, all of that we took it into account and it's not enough but their calculation i think has to have presupposed this linear relationship between how well off you are and how well you can perform but what if rather than a direct linear relationship it's more like there's a series of different uh tiers um and if you have been exposed to a certain degree of hardship, even if it's not extreme, that will cause you more likely to check out and to, you know, kind of like you're seeing through the facade of the American dream. You're seeing how the system is rigged. And once you see it's rigged and people aren't looking out for you, you're going to check out this. I mean, we see this all across America yeah yeah i mean it, you're right yeah it, what did you say the facade of the american dream <laughs> like the <laughs> idea that, <laughs> that there's like upward mobility yeah um, totally yeah and so if you look at how well people perform and how much they're like you know striving to quote unquote better themselves you only do that as a whole in general if you kind of buy into the the dream buy into the illusion right 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 and for example black people who have been forced generally to endure much more hardship than uh than white people in america that that hardship is gonna pop the bubble right yeah yeah i guess i guess the the sticking point for me is is uh could you say more about how poverty affects IQ? 
Okay, yeah. So in this article on PBS.org titled Analysis, How Poverty Can Drive Down Intelligence by Paul Solman, he quotes Walton, reviewing research with which I was troublingly unfamiliar, reports the bottom line that poverty lowers your IQ in one study by something like 13 points. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do they talk guess about any why? mechanisms that, yeah, that might um, make that happen? Well, as, as I understand it, one, one posited explanation is that when you're forced to live, for example, check by check, uh, paycheck to paycheck, you know, you're forced to face with your immediate problems, your immediate goals. And that takes a very strong precedence over broad planning for the future. Uh, and just and, and so what that translates to is less um, lateral thinking. Mm -hmm. Because so much of your mind is just taken up with surviving till the next day, till the next month. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that would make sense to me. There, there's also the the nutrition thing that Definitely. you mentioned earlier, which you yeah, um, and I think in the episode, I think Harris said that. Uh, so he was talking about this thing called the Flynn effect, which is that everyone's IQ scores have been rising for the past two decades, at least I think, um, and I think black IQ scores are, are rising higher than than white IQ scores. So like the the gap is closing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think he said there that improved nutrition couldn't account for, for that. Um, yeah, and, and like, okay, maybe they took everything into account and maybe all of that can't account for the difference. Still, I think they're making that assumption that it's linear. And so if you have a lot of people in very worst off situations, they're going to expect very worse performance and if there's a lot of people in moderately worse off situations they're going to expect moderately worse performance but i think that's a mistake i think it's important to recognize that after a certain cutoff um you check out if you're moderately worse off you're probably still going to perform much worse off uh, rather than only slightly worse off. Yeah, yeah, it does get into kind of a cir circular thing because uh, it, it's not clear. Like a feedback loop. It's not clear, like, if, if IQ is causing income and and also performance or if the three of them are just kind of correlated mm -hmm. with, with, like, life circumstances and that kind of thing. And But but I, I agree that they do kind of jump to some conclusions. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a really important point to mark is that there the, these data are not conclusive. They, they have posited one interpretation, um, Harris and Murray have, and this is only one possibility, right? Right, right. So yeah, and yeah, so, so an important thing to say here so yeah, so the data don't show anything conclusively, right? Mm. But 
I think a lot of the ideas they posit in this episode are are fairly mainstream within the intelligence community as as that letter that got signed by you know a bunch of those people showed after the bell curve was was published and and that does not mean that it's uh if you if it's you know quote unquote mainstream it 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 could still be you know opposed by like 50 percent of of people in the field sure and that's just yeah. like having having debates within a within a scientific field mm-hmm. um so yeah I, I think you have to distinguish between like they're obviously right they're completely controversial and there's no way they're right and <laughs> uh some people in the field agree with them that kind of thing right yeah definitely so 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 and I, I just think it's really important to recognize that yes this is up for debate and so it's perhaps problematic to advocate for particular social change reforms such as like dismantling affirmative action based on these grounds alone yeah so i i think i think i think ultimately i think the best argument for for even you know researching this kind of stuff is is what harris says at some point about the fact that these things are just gonna these discoveries are just gonna ambush us as we discover more about intelligence and about genetics Mm -hmm. and uh we don't really know which way the cookie's gonna crumble as far as as far as you know when we when we discover group differences like these and we need to not shy away from from facts that's not to say that we need to like broadcast stuff like this you know Mm -hmm over the whole world but but yeah i think his his whole thing kind of in general is that that denying facts or ignoring facts or making stuff up is just inherently harmful no matter the circumstances he, he wrote a whole book on, on why lying is is bad <laughs> like in in, in in every circumstance interesting i have not read but um <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying that he's lawful good I guess so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So do you want to transition and maybe start talking about why is Harris making these points? Why is he talking about people lying and misrepresenting the data and maliciously smearing him? Smearing Murray? Him, yeah, Murray. and, and, uh, And so I guess that was... He says that's his motivation, right? Why, why he interviewed Murray in the first place was because he saw something of himself in the way Murray had been treated by uh, by being so widely criticized and vilified. He feels that he has been treated the same way for saying controversial things in the past. Yeah, and it was also that, that I think Harris was supposed to be on a panel with Charles Murray at one point, and hadn't read the bell curve or any of his books, but had just heard his name and connected him with someone who was supposed to be avoided. <laughs> right. uh, Cause you know, you just don't want to be associated with him. I think, I think that was a, that was a big motivator as well, but you're right. Um, a lot of it stemmed from him seeing parallels to the, the backlash on his, uh, I guess at, at this point it was, it was mostly just about religion and, and Islam. Mm-hmm. And and that once he had this interview, there's been a lot of backlash and criticism for having had the interview. 
if you're enjoying what you're listening to so far and you want to support us somehow, there's lots of ways you can do that. You can go follow us on Facebook or Instagram or visit us online at postwavepodcast.com or send us a nice email at postwavepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on your podcasting platform of choice. We're on pretty much everyone out there. Give us a nice review if you're on a platform that supports that or a five-star rating. Thanks for listening. So maybe that gets us into the kind of the second part of this. Yeah. <laughs> so this uh, this might be a little bit navel gazy because we're just talking about like <laughs> podcasts that were responses to podcasts and responses <laughs> to articles and responses to other articles. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> this is for you meta freaks out there. <laughs> Okay, so so it all centers around this website Vox, which I'm pretty sure most people have read at least a few articles on. Kind of kind of known for being left wing progressive, and I don't think the uh, the exact timeline of this whole dispute is is super important. We'll put a, we'll put a link to the to this episode uh, we're about to talk about in the description. Um, but basically, what was involved is the editor at large there, Ezra Klein publishing a few pieces not not uh i don't think any of them were actually written by him um but these pieces were in response to to sam harris having charles murray on his on his podcast and and giving him what was described as a pretty softball interview so his main criticism was that harris didn't press him on this question of why are we talking about this enough yeah, well, I, th- I think actually, so so I think Klein's main criticism was that that just that they didn't mention the the racial history of the U.S. at all. Right. I pretty much, yeah. I don't, they they hardly talk about it, and I think you know, in in uh, Klein and Harris's conversation, uh, Harris says that he had a, I think just like a few weeks before the Douglas Murray episode, he had a conversation with Glenn Lowry, who's this black intellectual he's a professor at i think some ivy Ivy league school um and and harris went through this kind of long rambling preamble about the history of racism in the u.s and and all that stuff before he was he was going to talk about whatever he was going to talk about and i think lowry said like you don't need to do that (laughs) when you talk about the stuff like it's it's i forget his exact words but um anyway so i think the lack of of mentioning american history was was partially because of that um so anyway yeah there was like a bunch of things that happened on twitter that aren't aren't super important but i think like they were going to do a podcast and then there was like a heated email exchange (laughs) and then harris backed out and and then he wasn't going to do it and then he put like a pull up on his twitter and and enough people wanted him to do it um that he decided to uh, but this this does get kind of to the idea of of like we were talking about, I think in the last episode of of talking about whether people are in 
good faith or bad faith when they're having conversations. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Harris very much considered Klein to be acting in in bad faith just to try to to slander him or something. <laughs> yeah, which is re- really interesting to me because I think that assuming that the other person is in bad faith is the first step to being in bad faith yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, but you have a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's really evident in their tone as they speak to each other. And especially, I think it's fair to say, especially in the way that Harris talks to Klein. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels like there's a lot of like unveiled malice and dislike between the two of them. And the way Harris approaches Klein seems to me a little bit more impatient, more quick to assume the worst. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I maybe it's just because I'm so familiar with Harris's voice, but like, I, I, I mean, he, he obviously sounds kind of angry and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. Klein just sounds kind of condescending a lot of the time. To me. <laughs> yeah, I agree. He, he, he comes off condescending for sure, and it's yeah. but it's so interesting to me because then if. I was trying to like keep like even referee trying to keep like a <laughs> a balanced view of the things and Harris comes across as really really condescending as well um I'm sure he feels it's in reaction to the condescension of of Klein and I'm sure uh Klein feels the same way <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think I think the reason Harris is so kind of bent out of shape. I mean, he's he's kind of the one who has his reputation on the line, mm. right? Like Klein, you know, it's it's no matter what the outcome is, like he's kind of doesn't have any skin in the game, I guess, or he doesn't have as much skin in the game, right? Um, but yeah, I I agree on on both sides. It's uh. <laughs> <laughs> regrettable <laughs> yeah so this this, this is kind of interesting and maybe we should just mention right now this this whole thing to me kind of felt like a shit show and to uh give it much credence as i think uh well <laughs> it, it it's maybe just important to recognize that there's a lot of shit flinging going on here and yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe not the most productive engagement yeah, yeah. I mean, they they kind of go around in circles, mm-hmm. a bunch, and yeah. I mean, you could uh, kind of. I mean, it's the summary of the whole like two and a half hour, two hour thing is is, you know, Harris arguing that you can argue about scientific data in isolation from the racist history of the U.S. and Klein arguing the opposite, and then Harris saying that anything. Klein says about history is is irrelevant so like let's not even talk about it and then Klein just keeps wanting to talk about it yeah what do you think do you you agree with Harris there that all of history is irrelevant I mean I maybe I I I probably overstated that like I don't think he thinks it's irrelevant but I think you know this idea that you have to have a have this kind of preamble where you acknowledge 
all the the past injustices before you you talk about right and so i'm actually not at all convinced that harris doesn't flatly consider them to be two unrelated topics because he says emphatically in the discussion multiple times that these are two separate issues and one can be considered without the other and that's where Ezra disagrees Mm -hmm. yeah I mean yeah so I guess there's there's a tiny distinction there which is these two topics don't necessarily need to be discussed together and the idea that oh we should just never talk about the racist history of the u.s which is not what harris is saying right like he's definitely good to clarify yeah yeah so he's saying like yeah sure we can talk about that stuff we need to talk about that stuff but it's not relevant necessarily necessarily to this this conversation about race and iq do you buy that i don't not not really (laughs) uh (laughs) because i mean i mean i mean if if you want to convince people of your position if it involves something to do with IQ differences you're you're only going to set yourself off on a good foot by first acknowledging all of the all the awful shit mm-hmm. like you're not you're not doing yourself any favor by not mentioning it I guess yeah and and even going beyond like the influence it has on people's perception of him whether he has the disclaimer or not um I remember Klein saying that he doesn't really care about that it's more that when they were in the meat of the discussion they they tried to cut 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 out that perspective entirely mhm so yeah so i think the other the other kind of main takeaway from that conversation besides just the 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 debate over whether the, the science and the history can be discussed in in isolation was klein kind of pointing out that harris was falling prey to a bunch of the same identity politics <laughs> kind of things that he he like rails against so often yeah uh, which i you know I, I definitely i take his point there <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah especially when he was like uh bringing up how critical harris is and how willing to jump to like provocative words like you all are lying and uh misrepresenting the facts and stuff and like actual name calling <laughs> and yet whenever anyone criticizes him in the slightest regard he gets very defensive Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's kind of uh difficult for me to listen to that kind of argument because it it really it really kind of triggers me it uh, (laughs) brings me back to arguments and just sort of the failed ability to discourse that was often present in my family growing up and and also specifically uh, we had uh, this one guy when I was a freshman in high school uh, he was a senior in high school and he came to Seattle to live with us for his last year of high school as his mother was a close friend of my mother and she had just passed away so this guy um he was a kind of a total asshole to be honest <laughs> um and was so prone to arguing every little detail every little thing no it's this and he'd like get really intense about it and he'd formulate these in-depth reasons why he's right um and then what he would do if 
well when I frequently through logic like argued him to the point where he could see that he was wrong um he would threaten to punch me <laughs> <laughs> wait so you you're a freshman and he was how old he was a senior in high school oh wow yeah that's uh <laughs> and he was living in my bedroom i was sharing my bedroom with him for one year that has that's a weird dynamic <laughs> it was a really weird dynamic i mean it was kind of like a a kind of abusive older brother sort of situation <laughs> yeah it's just like out of nowhere <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's... yeah it was kind of weird but i learned a lot about things that people do when they argue from that experience mm-hmm. and i saw sam doing some of those things in this yeah like like what um like that imbalance where he's uh not seeing when he's being hypercritical of others and and provocative and inflammatory and yet criticizes other people for criticizing him um there's there's another core to this which is his inability to acknowledge when he's made a misstep or when klein has called him out on something that seems pretty darn true he is unwilling to say oh yeah you're right i was wrong about that i think you see this all over the time in people discoursing they they refuse to back down even and and i got this strong sense a couple times uh in these points that we've just brought up that klein made a pretty good argument and you could kind of tell in harris's voice that he recognized it and realized oh yeah no he's got me that's true but then he would just kind of jump over backwards trying to say oh no no i'm right actually let me tell you why and that uh i think contributed a lot to them talking past each other uh i i didn't get that impression at all but uh (laughs) You, you you have famously good intuitive abilities about people so <laughs> well, maybe <thank> you're right <laughs> yeah, i appreciate that actually <laughs> um yeah i know i mean i i thought the, the impression i got at the end was that harris thought uh, like he, yeah he agreed that they were kind of talking past each other mm-hmm. um but i think that just gets back to the whole loop of of harris arguing that they didn't need to discuss the historical context and and Klein Mm -hmm. arguing that they do because all these examples of his historical context and then it just kind of going around like that Mm -hmm. um I think I think at the end he yeah there there wasn't any moment where I I felt like he acknowledged that he had been uh or like where he where he came off like not acknowledging Mm -hmm. some some kind of of defeat but yeah pretended otherwise I mean there was you know there was the, the thing of where um Harris mentioned that he did regret not pushing Murray more on on the the mm. policy claims I think. Yeah, he did mention that for sure. I will say as well, I do not think that Mr. Ezra Klein is uh clean hands in this situation either. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. For for example, there's there's one uh instance uh, of several that stood out to me um which was after Sam was kind of showing his defensiveness. Uh, so like uh, Ezra calls out in a kind of a critical way, look, Sam, you messed up. Here are some some things you didn't consider. 
Sam sees it, but gets, I felt started to get defensive and, uh, and so sort of like, uh, does gymnastics a bit to continue defending his point. Um, and after this has happened for a few times, Ezra Klein says, now look, I want to say something and I want to say it in a way that won't make you defensive. <laughs> <laughs> it's like good job you already fucked up Mr. Ezra Klein <laughs> now you're not going to overreact to this are you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah there, there's a lot of passive aggression stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so I, I definitely think Ezra was uh, fanning the flames a bit, which was a little bit sadistic, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think, I think Karis's whole argument is that the, the, the fame, <laughs> the flames on this particular subject and on, on Douglas Murray have been like continually fanned mm. like un, unjustifiably. So I think it just kind of fits into the, the whole, that whole narrative. Yeah. And I want to I want to just back up and ask. Do you think that if Ezra Klein had written an article that didn't seem critical of Harris as a person, if in their exchanges he was never critical of him as a person and if beginning this conversation where Klein calls out some of the perhaps missteps that Harris makes if he had done so in a compassionate way in a way that didn't seem to be casting or him down or humiliating him do you think that maybe Harris would have been able to look at that and say huh you know I think you're right and then have had a, a productive discussion between the two of them I mean, maybe I feel like Klein already kind of tried to set them off on the right foot by saying, you know, like, I'm, I'm a fan of your show. Mm -hmm. Like, I like your podcast. You know, we uh, you just have a big platform and I feel like you should be, you know, if you're going to talk about these things, these are the things you should be aware of because you have a you have a big responsibility. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. He, he did seem to be pretty amicable at that point, And I think he handled that really well. But evidently, Harris felt that Klein had already been showing animosity or um, fanning the flames in some regard for him to have reacted that way. Yeah, well, I think a lot of this goes back to that email chain I was talking about, which I haven't mm. actually read, but <laughs> it was that uh, I think what happened is that Sam like put out uh, put out a challenge to to Klein to come out on his show on Twitter and uh and they connected and then they you know their agents or whatever connected them and then they started emailing and there was this long contentious email chain where um I think the punchline was that Harris was was just more and more convinced that that Klein was going to be acting in quote-unquote bad faith and I think so they didn't do it and then there was another article and uh a string of events leading Harris to to publish the email string and I think a lot of people had the same impression that 
that we both kind of get from this podcast, which is that Sam is kind of seems to be overreacting to mm-hmm. what he sees as as slights against him. Yeah. Yeah, I got that impression as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he even said, you know, after he released that email chain, he he gave an update. It was like, yeah, that didn't come off the way I intended for it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, this is, this is, I mean, and one of the things he said was like, oh yeah, so, you know, people, I expected people to, you know, go back and listen to the initial conversation with Charles Murray and, you know, read the articles and and do all the work but no one's you know no one's really gonna do all the work and uh mm-hmm. at the same at the same time that that does place a a burden on people to like consume so much <laughs> to even be able to to like say something productive about the conversation yeah that's true now now harris does make a point that um that there were people who spoke uh, published articles about uh, the conversation between him and Murray um, intentionally, he says, at least he says intentionally misrepresenting the facts of the discussion to make it look like they were saying racist things or more racist or however you want to frame that. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have a, uh, specific examples of that? I don't have examples. This is something that Harris mentioned in the debate with with Klein. He says Harris claims anyway that there were multiple instances of people misrepresenting the data, and that he he seemed to say he had evidence that they were doing so intentionally. But I don't know if he has a that cited or anything, or, or has can point to where that was. So he's talking about like in these Vox articles. Yeah, 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 um, and perhaps other articles as well. I wasn't clear on that. Yeah, I bet I bet we'll be able to find that and put it in the show notes. Yeah, some of the closing thoughts. <laughs> it's like reading through my notes. Mm-hmm. I guess I just want to re- reiterate that this kind of confirms for me this rhetorical trap that I've seen a lot of people fall into, which is where if you attack someone, attack their person, say, try to put them down, say, you're a bad person because of these things you said or did, the reaction to that criticism, whether valid or not, is going to be defensive. That person who you're criticizing they're not going to say, oh, yeah, you're right. No, they're going to stick to their points. They're going to redouble. You say, no, I was right. Let me explain in thorough detail why I am now holding to these points. And I think you see this in Charles Murray, why he became so vocal about this one small point throughout his career. Um, it's because people criticized him as a person to the point where he can't admit any wrong because to do so would be to admit that he as a person is wrong because that's what the criticisms are about and he's never going to do that 
That's no one's ever going to do that. Same thing with Harris. That's why he couldn't back down when confronted with Klein, who, while at some points he was being very diplomatic, at other times I felt he was fanning the flames and you know being kind of condescending on purpose to provoke additional reactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's an interesting parallel that I I definitely didn't really think of. Mm. But you're right, and it is it is tough because. You know, obviously, it's a bunch of white dudes discussing these things, and mm-hmm. and when you start talking about you know attack, attacking someone's character versus just opposing their ideas, like it, the when stuff gets this, I guess heated and contentious and controversial, and and so directly relevant to to a bunch of people's lives, yeah, it gets harder to distinguish between attacking someone's character and attacking their ideas, I guess. Mm -hmm. I think this is a place where we in the left often make a mistake because I think there's a very strong tendency at the moment anyone disagrees or even says something irrelevant to the points that we like to talk about. People are so quick to jump on and criticize their character for for saying whatever. And this is something that has been known since probably prehistory. You know, it, it, you see this historically, you know, in the Middle Ages everywhere. There's this kind of embedded core concept to our society that, you know, if you insult someone, then you'd better finish him off. You better kill him dead or else they're going to come back and kill you. <laughs> like that's just how society has worked for millennia. <laughs> yeah. And today we live in a society where if someone disagrees with us, we can't very well go and murder them. So maybe it's a good idea not to try to put them down, but to try to be extra cautious in being communicative and accepting the other person as being of value even if they may disagree with you yeah 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 as much as possible